You're listening to Future Theater Radio with Bill and Nancy Burns right here on the Dark Matter Radio Network and PSN Radio. Hi, everybody. It is June 6th, the Memorial of D-Day. 2016. We are your co-host, Bill. That's me and Nancy. Hello, everybody. Burns, and we are broadcasting on Future Theater Live from the banks of Primrose Creek in beautiful downtown Solberry Village, Pennsylvania, on PSN Radio and the Dark Matter Digital Network. And with us tonight in the old booth is our producer, Angel the Jackal. Say hello, Jackal. Aye, aye, Captain. Hello, Jackal. And ladies and gentlemen. And Nancy and Chris. Is Chris Brown, who Angel just said hello to. Hi, Chris. Hi, Chris. Hi, Chris. And our guests tonight, two guests. Ooh, who do we have on tonight? Two? Scott and Sandra Smith. Same phone, though. See, they're going to hand it off. uh, They're going to hand it off back and forth. And uh, And, and if your eyes just rolled back in your head, Angel, it'll be fine. I'm sure of it. (laughs) And Nancy's in control. Nancy's in control. This week, I'm in control Next Next week. week. Next week, we have an exclusive tape. Hold on to your hats, everyone. An exclusive Uh tape from the late. It's an interview. Nobody has heard this before. It is the late Nancy Reagan talking about Ronald Reagan's involvement, President Reagan's involvement with the astrologer Joan Quigley. And with us to talk about it will be Rick Lertzman, who interviewed Nancy Reagan at the Reagan Library in uh, Simi Valley, California, and Joel Martin, the author of The Haunting of the President. That is a week from tonight. Tonight is Scott and nice. Sandra Smith, and um, I, I'm working on a manuscript right now. It's an outline about all the pre- – well, it's about the various – it's about Hillary Clinton's and Bill Clinton's um, experiences with the UFO. It's about all the presidents, but in particular with that, and one of the things that interested me the most about the night of 1997, March, what is it, 13th, 1997, the night of the Phoenix Lights. We talked about this a few weeks ago with Robert Morningstar. <clears throat> it's the night that Bill Clinton disappeared off the map. And it turned out he said he had injured his knee and he was incommunicado. And then, and then, and then, the governor of Arizona at the time, Fife Symington, uh, who was under indictment for um, some kind of corruption in office, I'm not sure the exact charge, but he was in in court proceedings, went into court in the morning gave an announcement that he was going to get to the bottom of this whole UFO flap over Phoenix. That afternoon, he had his chief of staff dressed as an alien, and everybody had a big guffaw over the whole thing. It wasn't until 11 years later on UFO Hunters that Governor Fife Symington, at this point retired governor, Fife Symington, 
out in California, this was exclusive for UFO hunters, broke his silence about that event and admitted on national television that he saw an actual craft that night, a flying giant triangle with starlight shining in between, well, among the lights at the tips and at the spear point of the flying triangle. Then he was bragging about how he'd gotten a pardon from Bill Clinton and also revealed for the first time anywhere that was he was an Air Force officer. He captured a UFO on radar and was told by his commanding officer, he was a young second lieutenant, and was told by his commanding officer, ditch the tape. You didn't see anything. There's nothing there. Well, I believe, I think it's either Chris or Danny. Chris can remind me. Is it you, Chris, who's um, been back and forthing with Lynn Kitai about a date? We're trying to come up with a date that's... We are. We okay, are going to yeah. come up with it. She's been busy, kind of been uh, going around and promoting her Phoenix Lights um, uh, program that she's, movie that she's been working on. And we will keep in touch on that. And I, we will be in uh, be in touch with her and, yeah. Right, and and our guest tonight. A lot of touching. A lot of touching. touching. There we go. A lot of touching. Well, our guest tonight uh, used to be a writer for uh, UFO magazine, among other millions of millions. I mean, he's a humongous freelance writer in terms of his output, and he was he became known to me because of his book on the afterlife with pets. After you know your pet's afterlife, and uh, if you go to futuretheater.com, which I recommend you do. Um, you will then see stuff about tonight's show, and you will, uh, you know, learn a bit, a little bit about Scott. And folks will find the phone number on that website yes, where they can you. call yeah, yeah, yeah. Wait, and wait. talk about the afterlife of pets and wait. Sandra wait, Smith. Done. But I'm not done because um, you can also most shows. If we've had our guest on, if if we're lucky enough, this is a second or third or whatever visit. At the bottom of the person's entry, you'll see a link to the earlier shows. So if you, you'll become interested perhaps in uh, the way Scott Smith looks at the world. And that's the whole reason that um, this show got put together. Scott, after he was on our show, um, his his book, and I should make a more bigger link, which I will do, it's called God Reconsidered, and it's well, well written, and it's all about trying to find God on your own own, own terms. And um, he talks about Gnosticism a lot. And so we were talking after the show last time he was on in November last year. And he mentioned, you know, you might want to talk to my wife, who's kind of a whole different stripe, whole different animal. She is a practicing, she used to be a practicing Wiccan, but now maybe this is just a husband bragging about his wife. Okay, I don't, I don't know, but let me get to tonight's show and tell. And here's what he said, and I think it's so sweet. Um, she is not. Well, let me get in my, I'm losing my mind here. Um, she has a very well. She's not been. Okay, she's special, and I can't find the exact quote. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I'm so this sorry. This whole segment is special. Yeah, but anyway, the whole point is she is way different from the other people, and she does do real magic, and she's not new age, quote unquote. Well, when you say real magic, are we talking like dark arts magic, like dark magic? Yeah, I think so. 
Well, oh. well, see, that's what we'll talk it's about. It's magic with a CK. Yeah, ah. and rituals and stuff. And see, and Scott's the gotcha. perfect rationalist, if you will. Um, that was how we conducted our interview last time. And that's how I've always thought of Scott. But as any good writer, um, you have to have an open mind. And so I can't wait to talk to his wife. Now, tonight, the way we're going to do it is they have one telephone. Okay, and there's two people there. So Scott's going to talk a little bit first, and then he's going to hand it off to Sandra. And we're going to do it that way. And I think it will be fabulous. And we just don't, that's that's how we're going to do it. Okay, so just be prepared for another fabulous show. So that's the know? back and forth you were warning me about earlier. Uh-huh. That's what it was. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. I think it'll work because, you know, we could have probably come up with a cell phone as well. We'll see. Maybe we'll think of something right on the fly because sometimes you, Angel, come up with solutions um, with well, guests. Well, they only have one phone there. I know, but what? Yeah, I can't. I can't. Phone I can't, phone I can't I'm not that good. I can't invent the phone. Uh, make, you know. uh, <laughs> but I think I'm going to make your phone appear magic. Well, I, 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 I think it's going to have a Harry Potter vibe tonight. That's why Ooh. it's just a feeling. A I, oh, really? No, how come? I just don't like Potter. I'm not a Potter fan. Mm, Me neither. No. Yeah, the whole Larry Potter, Harry Potter thing kind of always threw that me off. You. And, yeah. Well, did you did thing. you see the movie or read the books? I, you know, it's funny. The only movie I've ever walked out of, well, one of two movies, I should say, that I've walked out of while watching it in theaters was the first Harry Potter movie wow. because it was terrible. I just I couldn't get through the whole thing. So, like, halfway through, it was like 45 minutes in. I just I left, and it was a free ticket, by the way. That makes it Yeah, worse. you had quite the story you were explaining yeah. to me because we did it on the roundtable. We were talking yeah, about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know the story. And uh, mm-hmm. it's funny, my friend who worked at the theater got me the pass. He called me saying, this is going to be awesome, dude. He loves, the, you know, the Harry Potter books. I went, did not like it, left the theater really upset just because I didn't like the experience. Never really bothered with the rest of the movies because if the first one didn't get me, you know, didn't really... Well, you realize that you realize that you fell right in the donut hole between the people becoming completely hooked on it. You were too old for it. No, it's not even that. I like I like stuff that is geared for young people. Also, I mean, I watch a lot of teenage, you know, type movies and stuff, and I love that genre. I'm still a big kid. Don't get me wrong. One of my favorite movies ever is The Goonies, for crying out loud. So mm-hmm. I, I love those type of films. I'm just not a, a Twilight type of guy, or you know, you know, these type of movies they just don't do anything for me. That's the thing. And and Harry Potter, it was kind of like Twilight, and you know, it was just the, the British version. You know, it just it was well, too you know, that's silly, what it, that's what and we the acting was bad. Yeah. You know, I just I, I, personally. I just didn't see it. And then I remember the whole Larry Potter debacle, and I was like, yeah, you know, that's yeah. even worse. That's just- well, yeah, and as as time goes on, and, and as we have more, we can spend more time together, Angel, I will walk you through it again and again, and I will <laughs> prove to you that you're wrong, but in the most subtle and quiet way, and, and the world won't know. But listen, uh, tonight, you can, Hillary, you, can never, you can never change what I've seen. That's the thing. No, 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 I can't. I, can I can show you more background because, believe it or not, <laughs> and I, I'm experiencing this right now, I am living this weird thing. I, my generation has the horror of looking at every book and every journal and every scrapbook and photograph, every physical thing that we thought we should take care of, a hand down to the kids, this and that. It's all kind of disintegrating because the whole world has, is digitizing stuff. And so if you want it to be remembered or thought about or seen, you have to digitize stuff. Okay. And that's just weird altogether. It's a weird trip that my generation kind of has to make because if we don't do it, um, 
a whole legacy is lost because oh, you know what. Speaking of digitizing stuff, and not to cut mm-hmm. you off, Nancy. I, no, cut me off. Cut me. I off. would hate yes, to I do that. You. I would hate I to do you. that to you. Uh, something really weird happened to me yesterday, and I had to tell you about this. I was going to tell you off air because it was really, really weird cool. uh, and kind of touching too. Uh, but what the hell? We're on air. Might as well just tell you. Weird but touching. Here we go. I have a uh, 10 inch tablet, right? It's uh, one of those Samsung tabs. <laughs> mm-hmm. I know you thought I was going. You, start out you're going to. Go, you thought I was going somewhere else when I said 10 inches. I know, I know, but no, it's, an, it's a Samsung tab. <laughs> okay. 10 inch. Okay. I've had the same memory card in this thing for over a year. It's always worked beautifully. In November, I took a video of my mother and my father in the living room talking. We were having a conversation for about 11 minutes. It was very, like, you know, pleasant, and it was like a beautiful video that I, that I took with my tablet. And I've shown the video off to, like, my family members. We played it at her funeral and stuff in, in March, and, you know, we've all loved the video. Like an idiot, I forgot to back it up to a hard drive. I just kind of left it there with a bunch of other photos and stuff that I have of the family, thinking that I had backed it up. Uh, about a week and a half ago, the tablet... Works fine, but the uh, card got fried somehow, and it yeah, just that's wouldn't what you said not last work. Week. Listen, right. doesn't any family member have a copy? No, no, nobody has a copy. Check this out. So oh. the the thing fried; it would not work. I I tried everything for it to work, nothing. And I even called the company. They told me that it would cost me a certain amount of money for them to try to get the, the data out, which they could, but it would be like a couple hundred bucks. Yeah. I was thinking about paying the two three hundred bucks to get it done. Yesterday, I had to move. All my stuff, because I remember when my nephew moved in back last year, I gave mm-hmm. him my bedroom so he could stay here, and um, I started, I moved all my stuff into my computer room, which mm-hmm. is my my little hangout, and I've been kind of living like a sardine for the last you know six months, seven months, eight months, just living in this little. It's not a tiny room, but it feels tiny because I'm I have all so much stuff in here, and I decided. Well, so you're not tiny. No, I'm not tiny either. No, it doesn't help the situation, Nancy. And uh, yesterday I decided, and it's you hot. know what? It's hot. It, well, no, we have the AC on on blast, so we're good. It, it is hot outside, though. But um, so anyway, so yesterday I decided to finally, you know, move my stuff into my mother's bedroom and good. take that as a sleeping, uh, you know, place for myself and make good. that my bedroom and kind of move her stuff out of there, which is very, very little tough by little, little by little. It, I mean, I yeah. still have a lot of her clothing in the closet, and I hope that whenever I bring a girl over, she doesn't think that I'm cross-dressing or anything when she sees that. So I'm sorry, ladies. Yeah. Is your mother not... blessing? Is, is your mother blessing? You know, you? Yeah. Exactly. Just, so, just tell her, you know, it's that scene from J. Edgar Hoover. <laughs> I'll show her some pictures of my mom in the clothing, and, and she'll understand, hopefully. But, um, you know, I, I decided to move all the stuff in there, and I, and I spent all day setting everything up. And I put my laptop, everything in that room, because you know, I have, you know, like three computers. I'm a nerd. And uh, so I put my laptop in there with a little card reader that has a little SD card from the uh, from the tablet that mm-hmm. I've been trying like crazy to get to work. And it would not work for the life of me. I turned my computer on. Okay, and the mm-hmm. the reader was inside of it. It had not worked for days. All of a sudden, as I sit for the first time in the bedroom, what do you think happens as I turn the laptop on? Uh, the video the, comes up. The the recorder comes up. The little SD card pops up, and Perfect. the first thing that's there is my mom's video. Oh, wonderful! And you so appreciate it, and you make oh, copies. Goodness. I've I've already made like 15 copies. And you put it up on the cloud. Everywhere. This is on the cloud. It's on Venus. It's on Mars's clouds. This is on everywhere. (laughs) Yeah. I am back. It's a really nice video of just my family interacting, you know, when my mom was still kind of like joking around and healthy. Not really healthy, but she was at at least healthier than she, you know, was in the last couple of months. And uh, she was still very vibrant and stuff in the video. And it was just, I started crying, to be honest. I had like a tear started coming out of my eyes. I'm so so glad it came back. 
It was it's an amazing thing. Yeah. And as soon as as soon as and the funny part is as soon as that video got you know taken off of that hard drive and put into my computer and all that stuff, as soon as that happened, guess what happened? What? The hard drive broke again? again. Went dead again. Oh. Mm. Really? I got a little I got a little window of opportunity to get it out of there and, and store it before wow. it just died again. So And you and you took it, you did it. Of you, course. Uh, there you go. Yeah, yeah. Working so, on your instincts. Yeah, well. I don't know if it was my mother who uh, did that from above or whatever, you know. Yeah, that's I, what that, it sure sounds like. Well, that was a beautiful show, moment. Tonight's show, you know, kind of I hope will help us answer some of these questions because I believe personally not in ghosts per se or spirits or magic or any of that stuff, but I do believe that we're not, we don't have instruments small enough yet to know that our thoughts can influence everything. Exactly what Thomas Edison wrote. Really? Yes. Really? Yes. Because here's the thing, um, and and I finally figured out what it's meant by, you know, the whole world's blowing up and and you're just looking at this teacup of tea. And you, the point is, if you can calm your own mind and make yourself happy and only go on the nice websites, go only go and read stuff that pleases you, only talk to people who please you and stuff, make yourself a little happy bubble and live in it, um, it becomes reality. And so, therefore, I just don't think we know how to communicate with when, after we leave our little limited bodies and we're everywhere. And we we can't communicate back. We can't like laser focus it back through the eyeballs or something. So anyway, so yeah, I think tonight's show will be a little bit about that kind of stuff. I bet you. I bet you. Well, uh, what Thomas Edison believed is that. Um, okay, wait. But the reason I brought all that up is because point in fact, one of the earlier canaries in the mind that you can learn about whether or not this is true is talk to computer techs who have to try to reassemble a hard drive or fix a computer or whatever. There are people who can almost soothe the computer back. Like, I've done it. I've put my hands on my computer and just kind of walked it back from losing everything. And, I, and, and I've talked to computer tech people who feel there are some people who kind of can communicate with computers. Well, remember the those. iTech. Yeah, uh, right, on the on the level. Like, there are people who are magicians with any kind of machines, you know? And so you have to figure out where in the spectrum, uh, where on the huge human grid, you are like an idiot savant, where you're so good you can't believe it. So, 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 so the story of the iTech. And therefore, some, and therefore ones and zeros, I think we can push pixels eventually with our minds. Well... well. That, I don't know about all that, but I'm just happy I got the video of my mom back. Right. Don't well, you think uh, that was uh, that's what Edison Angel, believed. Did you get anything out of what I just said? Anything? Um, like no, most of that went over my head, but it was a little comforting. Comforting. Okay. Comforting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have to torque it down here. Torque just a little. <laughs> okay. Oh, so well, listen, on listen, a, yeah. I just was going to switch subject a little bit. I was just going to say, on a sad note, oh yeah, Muhammad Ali. Oh yes. Cassius yes. Clay himself, the greatest. Muhammad yeah. Ali. Yep. Yep. Bill he, can that, tell you. Uh, my goodness. That's why I was like Bill, because back in the, you know, he can remember all the Muhammad Ali, you know, prime era, you know, back. Wait, wait, did we ever do the Sonny Liston book? I don't have that on our list. We never book. did the Sonny Liston book, but um, uh, uh, two people, two people as a postscript to Muhammad Ali, two people told me the exact same story. One person told me the story, um, and his name was Art Rust Jr. Art Rust Jr. 
was the first African-American sportscaster to ever be hired for um, a national network. He was the he was the main sportscaster on um, ABC News, ABC Sports. He worked for Rune Arledge at ABC Sports. He was the dean of boxing and the dean of baseball, and he was really well known at that. And and, um, <clears throat> and Art was well, primarily Jr. New York City, right? Well, yeah, he lived in New York, and Art Rust uh, wrote a column um, at one point for the New York Post. And at one point for the New York Daily News. So he was very well known in New York. He was a local sportscaster. But he also did uh, the national news. And he was the first African-American sportscaster to ever be, um, do the national sports news. <clears throat> Art Rust Jr. also, as a writer, and I was his agent, uh, we also wrote a book together, the biography of Daryl Strawberry. And um, Art, Art as a – That you know. Right. It is? No, I was going to say that basically ruined Daryl's life. We could talk about that someday. Right, we could talk about that someday. No, well, I think the chant in the outfield, Daryl, I think that ruined his life. He hated <laughs> well, that. I don't know. Oh, my God, book, he hated that. Why? Anyway, so, so Art, also as a writer, was the biographer of Joe Lewis. He was the writer who worked with and, Joe and Lewis. Who was Joe Lewis again? Joe Lewis was the great heavyweight oh, boxing champion. Yeah. Right, so he wrote that book, "My Life" by Joe Lewis, with Art Rust and Edna Rust, Art's wife. And Joe Lewis told Art Rust, Joe Lewis was friends with Sonny Liston. And here's what Joe. Now, my general philosophy of life is when the same story comes to you from different people who don't know each other but tell you the exact same story, then the story is probably true. Or so, true-ish. True-ish. So, so, so the story from Sonny Liston was that he got a payoff from a group of gamblers who had him take a dive in the first fight and take a dive in the second fight. And that's what Liston said. And Liston's line to... Well, who was he fighting? He was fighting Muhammad Ali. Sonny Liston. Yeah, then Cassius Clay for the heavyweight championship. And um, Sonny Liston told... According to Art Rust, Sonny Liston told Art Rust, uh, told Joe Lewis, I got my money and that's all there is to it. Well, and that was so Liston. he got paid to take a dive? Really? Yes, that was Sonny Liston. Well, didn't wow. He some, didn't he have some, something on his glove? Oh, that was, yeah, that was. And the first fight, what happened was Liston had injured his shoulder. Now, this comes to me from another source. Art this Rust. is the source. Someone put a picture up of Art Rust. Oh, he was such a fun guy to know. He was 100% a hipster. Oh, he was a riot. He had a great apartment in Harlem and, you know, great jazz stuff. And he, he wrote a book uh, that's in our it's in our Shadow and Press stuff. We can't even name the it, – it's called Get That N-Word Off the Field, but the title is the real word because that's what they used to yell. He's – he. What a great photo of him, and he was so much fun. Right, he was uh, he was great to, the, to work with, and he lived lived to uh, just he he lived until he eighties nineties. Oh, he lived into his nineties, yeah. I think. Yeah, Art Rust Jr. Um, he and, was, and who was Art Rust Senior? 
Oh, and I don't know, but I mean, Art Rust, Art Rust, uh, Art Rust's father was a, a, a local landlord in in Harlem, and he would tell me the craziest stories about growing up in Harlem in the 1930s. Anyway, you'd have stories about Donald Trump's father. Well, he <laughs> stories of Donald Trump's father, and so at one point, his book made something like three thousand dollars. So I said, Art, Art, your book made three thousand dollars. Isn't that great? And he said to me, he he bursts out laughing. And he says to me, $3,000 is what I used to pay to get my suits cleaned at the cleaners. Wow. I mean, that's, that's, that was his reaction to, you just made $3,000. I would have been happy as heck back then. Are you kidding me? Yeah, Jeez. so then Art Rust, okay, so yeah. that one story sure. from Art Rust. That, uh, Joe Lewis said that Sonny Liston told him, I got my money, that's all there was to it. The but was other story, Muhammad Ali in on that? Here's well, a question. That's, yeah, that's, a, that's exactly it. It was Muhammad Ali in on well, it. That's, Here's the other question. Here's here's the other source. Beat me to it, source comes from the other source comes from a guy whose name, whose real name is not this name, but it's a name he used for his book, The Squad. It was Mike Milan. Mike Milan tells the story that um, he was the one, and there are newspaper clippings that show this. He tried to resurrect Sonny Liston's career in New York after the fights with Muhammad Ali with Cassius Clay. He tried to uh, um, resurrect his career. Nobody wanted him. He was the champ. Nobody wanted And Mike tells the story that it was a group of European gamblers working for some international computer company who um, offered Liston a million bucks to take a dive for the first fight. Now, Ali, Cassius Clay, didn't know that. Nobody told him. But his manager, Castiumato, knew that. And so during the fight, in in, in one of the earlier, like the fifth round, Sonny Liston had wrenched his shoulder. And his trainer put liniment on the shoulder to loosen it up because it was getting tight. As the fight progressed through the rounds, liniment began dripping down from Sonny Liston's shoulder onto the boxing glove, onto his hand. And some of it got got into uh, Clay's eyes, and he couldn't see. And he said, that's it, I'm quitting. And sitting behind Clay were some organized crime figures. And Diamato supposedly looks at the organized crime figures, sees them there, knows what they're there for, turns to Clay and says, do not quit now. Not now. Get out there. And he got out there. He danced for a round, and Sonny Liston quit, wouldn't come out of his corner in the next round. He said that he couldn't come out. Well, uh, PJ, one of our people in chat, has posted a photo of Art, and uh, he, he's saying that Ali would have, would have beat Liston anyway. What do you think? Well, Probably. maybe he would have. But the point was that Liston was a guy. <clears throat> Remember the, uh, the, uh, the champ, one of the champs before Liston, uh, before uh, who, who beat Floyd Patterson, was Ingemar Johansson. Mm-hmm. And Ingemar Johansson said they offered him a chance to fight Sonny Liston. And Johansson said, I would rather go to my farm in whatever country he was in, Sweden or something. I'd rather go to my farm, stand in front of my tractor. Have someone run the tractor over me, then face Sonny Liston in the ring. That was how fearsome Sonny Liston was in the ring. Now, and so, correct me if I'm wrong, though. Didn't Sonny Liston uh, in one of the fights with uh, Cassius Clay or Muhammad Ali? Didn't he break his jaw like in the first round? Because I know that's Laura. I don't know if it was Liston or another boxer. It was another boxer. Who it, broke it, it, it wasn't Liston. Well, whose jaw got broken? 
in the first round, and I'll look it up in a second here, but it was uh, in the first round. I want to say Kenny Norton, but maybe that's not true. I don't know. I don't think it was Kenny Norton, but in the first, I remember in the first round, I remember reading this a long time ago, they, they broke his jaw, and the fight went all the way to the 15th round. Like, Ali fought with a broken jaw for 15 rounds. Yeah. And he won by, like, like a unanimous decision. Really? Hmm. Yeah. He was a beautiful That's man. impressive. That's an impressive one. But it, it, it is kind of awkward to hear that he, that some of his fights were fixed, especially early on, some of the big fights, like the Liston well, fights. Well, if he didn't know about it... Yeah, uh, but still, does, I mean... What does it matter? As PJ said, he would have beaten him anyway, I think. I, I guess, know. you know, who knows? Well, who knows? We'll never know. That's the thing. Yeah. Well, and, the, well, know, but the thing the, is, when you write these books, like, for example, uh, the Sonny Liston book is completed, but it never got sold. It never got sold. And we could, you know, we're starting a publishing company, restarting our company. We can put it And so, so people need to piece the story together. That's why I love talking about this stuff on the air, because folks can look stuff up. Friends of friends who knew somebody back then can say, oh, you know, I can add to that story or take it, you know, take the story apart. So it's but the only it way the- we're going to get, you know, I'm telling you, the more I see what's going on in politics, the more I think the truth, the real truth, you know, should be held sacred by both sides. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying, because we need to make decisions about people and um, the media, I don't know. I think, I think shows like this can help. Yep. Tell by people, the, but by it, the way, we're, we're at the bottom of the half hour. But by, by the way, it, it was Ken. It was Ken Norton who actually was the boss. Yeah, it was of the Kenny boat. Norton. Right. Yeah, you're right. It was Ken Norton. You're absolutely right. Before yeah, we go to break, I though, I, I wanted to give a quick shout out to a good friend of mine who's listening for the first time, and uh, he's a big fan of yours, Bill. And when he heard that I was doing the show, he's like, "I gotta listen." So, big shout outs to my friend Eric who's listening for the first time on Future Theater. Oh, thank you, Eric. Thanks for joining us, Eric. You're a new fan. How are you? Good guy. Thank you, Eric. We are going to take a break, and we're going to come back with Scott and Sandra Smith. So we are your co-hosts, Bill. That's me and Nancy Burns. And we are broadcasting on Future Theater Live on the PSN Radio and the Dark Matter Digital Network. Stay with us for our guests, and we will talk about a whole bunch of things about going to the other side and and what creepy creepy coming up. Stay with us. Back after these messages. Flying saucers, alien abduction, are we alone? Information regarding this and many other questions about the unknown are only a click away at www.theufostore.com. Theufostore.com offers hundreds of DVDs about UFOs, aliens, crop circles, conspiracies, Bigfoot, suppressed science, ancient mysteries. Log on to www.theufostore.com and request a free UFO store catalog. Theufostore.com, the largest selection of UFO products on the Internet. Put a team of professional consultants behind your home or business computer with key information solutions. Providing solutions to your internet and computing needs while keeping you on the cutting edge of technology. Preventative maintenance and networking support. Hardware and custom built computers. Let key information solutions be your personal tech staff for your home or office with affordable hourly, monthly, or annual rates to fit anyone's budget. Call Key Information Solutions now. 954 
954-973-3374. That's 954-973-3374. Or visit keyinformation.com. Imagine no longer being tied down to your computer, but having the freedom to take live talk radio with you anywhere you go. TalkStream Live introduces our first ever iPhone application. The talk shows you follow now follow you. And your iPhone is now the fastest and easiest way to stay connected to the best talk radio on the Internet. Listen to live talk shows 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Mobile talk radio from TalkStream Live. Now available in the iTunes App Store. Look, up in the sky. It's a bird. It's a plane. No, it's SupermanHomePage.com, the number one Superman fan site in the world. SupermanHomePage.com, covering the world of Superman from the 1930s to today. News, reviews, rumors, and reports. SupermanHomePage.com, for all your Superman comics, TV shows, movies, cartoons, radio shows, and more. Everything you ever wanted to know about the Man of Steel and more. SupermanHomePage.com The George Rodriguez Show. Who? I said the George Rodriguez Show. You don't know George Rodriguez? Wasn't he the guy that filled in for Neil Rogers? Yes. That George Rodriguez. What's he like? Oh, he's a short little Cuban fellow. Kind of funny looking. Well, when's he on? 12 to 3, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday on SoFloRadio.com and SoFloRadio.net. The George Rodriguez Show is much more than adequate. Here's a riddle for you. What do the California gold rush of the 1850s, secret societies, coded messages, mysterious 19th century flying machines, and an early 20th century outside artist named Charles A.A. Delshaw all have in common? The Secrets of Delshaw by Dennis Crenshaw and Pete Navarro. Go to www.secretsofdelshaw.com to learn more. Everybody, we're back with our guest Scott Smith on Future Theater Live on the Dark Matter Digital Network and PSN Radio. So, thanks for joining us, Scott. We appreciate it. It is seven thirty on a warm Los Angeles night. I take it. Indeed, and uh, but it's not as bad as Desert Hot Springs, one hundred and ten, the other day when I went out for a conference. <laughs> 
I, I know that it was 101 degrees up in Reading. And, wow. Uh, um, uh, the only place that I had winter weather was San Francisco. But um, the the um, I have heard that uh, California is in the midst of a, a dreadful heat wave. Um, where well, in Los Angeles do you live? I'm I, I live, LA, next, I I live in the, uh, the ghetto of Beverly Hills, which is West Hollywood. And, ah, uh, thug, I, life. <laughs> thug life. Thug life for you. I used to live in Phoenix, so uh, this is uh, very uh, cold weather for us. We start putting down. Yeah, you're cooler now. You're cooler. Yeah, it's it's really wild. Um, But and incidentally, the guy I was working for, a famous author in Phoenix, uh, was one of the first people I talked to in the early 70s who saw a ufo and it was a very credible experience ah. now was this the author who hired lysette larkin um the god guy i think it's how to talk to god or something guy Does no, that, was, um, no. This, i i don't mind mentioning his name because most people won't know him today but Pavel Irola was the leading vegetarian nutritionist in the 1970s, and I was his assistant. And uh, I had been doing research and stuff for him, and he went out with another nutritionist, very famous guy whose name I won't mention. Um, and they were going down on a vacation to Mexico, and as they were driving along, um, they were coming up a hill and they were talking about UFOs and this, his friend said, that is the biggest bunch of malarkey I've ever heard. How can you believe and all that? And so they're talking this way. And as they come up the curve and they have a, a, a female friend in the car and right at the top of the road, this is down towards the Mexican border in Arizona. They saw a UFO sitting there on the road and the friend said, oh, my God, and wow. kept saying that for the next couple of hours. Now, this thing drifted off, but um, he came back, um, Dr. Arola came back and told me about this, and he was a very, very down-to-earth guy. This is the first time he'd ever seen anything, but he had known others who had, and so we were talking about it. And then a few years ago, when I was um, writing on UFO stuff, I decided to call this other doctor up just to confirm it. He said, yep, that's what happened. He said, I was a complete skeptic, and there it was, manifest on the road. So, <laughs> Wow. Wow. So, yeah. So um, one of the very first things I wanted to make sure we talk about before we move into um, Sandra is how you, Scott, came to write God Reconsidered, which is basically – I just love it as a but but tell us how you came to write it. Yeah, um the concept behind the book um which I basically wrote because through for mysterious reasons I went from working 80 hours a week to having about a month off in my journalism career and uh and it just kind of opened up and I had been thinking about this stuff for about, oh, I don't know, uh, 15 years or so, uh, 20 years. And I had decided to just spend the weeks I was waiting for things to reboot to start kind of writing out what I had learned. And what the, the essence of it, and, and in a way, 
the title is a little misleading because it's not principally about God per se. It's about the gate before that, which is you have to make a decision. If you're going to describe reality or ultimate reality, you have to make a decision on First, do you believe it's possible for there to be a supernatural? If you can't accept that, as most skeptics don't, then then you're starting off at the wrong place. You have to resolve that first. Now, I've had a very hysterical reaction to my book from the skeptics because I do the I push them on this point, because it's very easy to say there's no God, because it's well, hard well, to find. Why do you have to re- Why do you have to resolve it if, in fact, they're correct? What if the well, rationalist is correct and there's no? Yeah. Well, that, there's the problem. <laughs> this is, the funny thing about it is the so-called skeptics, like the Skeptic Society and the Committee for the Investigation of. Uh, a uh, let's see. Yeah, that, that's a, the PSYCOP, as they used yeah, to call the it. Yeah, PSYCOP, right, yeah. Yeah, that, that wasn't a very favorable name. So the Committee for the Investigation of the Paranormal, or whatever they're calling it these days, yeah. these hardcore fake skeptics pretend to just be a group of scientists trying to fight superstition. Now, I've had a lot of experience with these guys over the decades, and what's fascinating is they are the most irrational people I've ever met. Now, you would expect a fundamentalist believer to, you know, have faith in God and their bishops and everything. These fake skeptics are no different. They have elevated conventional wisdom in science, which just happens to be what is currently accepted by the gatekeepers of truth, which is 20 to 30 years behind the actual research in any field that I've ever investigated. Uh, Thomas Kuhn famously wrote a book called The Structure of Scientific Revolutions where he said, you know, what happens is uh, when somebody does come up with some evidence that contradicts the current paradigm, it's fiercely denounced as a heresy. And then that generation dies out. And the next generation comes up and says, well, you know, it's possible. You can go ahead and teach that. And then that generation dies out, and then it becomes the new conventional wisdom, which is also 20 to 30 years behind. And this is what's happened with the so-called paranormal stuff. For example, uh, in my opening chapter, I talk about the evidence for ESP. Now, this is totally a proven fact. There's no question anybody who has been an experimenter in this field is aware of this. It's now to the point where uh, this is being checked into and developed as uh, a commercial application. Well, 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 uh, even more, there was a review in the American American Psychological Association, the standard journal of psychology, Mm -hmm about ESP, and the New York Times freaked out that an academic journal like the American uh, Psychology Association would even sully its fingernails with the paranormal. But even better better yet, last Wednesday, and I keep forgetting, I I keep trying to tell you this, and we keep getting interrupted. Last Wednesday on Skywatchers, the guest was a woman named Stacy Horn, 
And I was correct. Yeah. Uh, her name was familiar, but I wasn't. And so I'm googling, and there are a lot of Stacy Horns, and I picked the wrong one. <laughs> and I do what I often do is I'll read a little during during the yep. show or during the break, and then I'll ask a question. And it was completely out of left field for poor Stacy Horn. It's like what? Say what? That's that's more research than I did, Nancy. Uh, yeah. Well, I'm so to admit it. <laughs> here's, here's who Stacy Horn. Is and I'll try to think of why I I broke in with this. We but. were tooting her horn left and right, and yes, I was the and I was, and, I'm, and I'm the main host of that show, by the way, guys. Exactly, and, and the, no and preparation. Is, but here's the thing: she did a book on the uh, the psi research at Duke University with the member of uh, the Rhine. Yeah, yeah, uh, the, the Rhines. I yep, wrote about them in the Edison book. Right, yep. and, and um, there is a wonderful couple named uh, Bob and um, Dr. Bob and Zoe Hieronymus, and they have a great radio show, and we need to be more in touch. When I was doing UFO Magazine, we were in touch every month. They would do the best column for us, one of the best. We have a lot of good columns. But anyway, um, so the size stuff was being uh, kind of uh, written into law. The, the, the Zener cards were being created and the experiments were happening. And, and so why are we out on the limb of Because um, Scott is talking about the fact that when that his first chapter in the book, in his book, is about the paranormal. And so we were talking about that folks who were denying that are 30 years behind the times because the latest evidence shows that there is something called the paranormal. And Scott, what's so fascinating is what you just said now about that the fact that the skeptics start from the premise that there is no paranormal. So that they're uh, they're not starting from ground zero. They've already made the determination that you (laughs) talk about the paranormal because there is no paranormal. So why argue the paranormal? Let's prove the paranormal isn't real because we won't accept it being real, even the possibility of. Yeah, here's why they're so hysterical. Uh, They have no trouble accepting the 10-string multiverse, which is just a theory. That they can embrace. The notion that there might be something called supernatural, a supernatural dimension of some sort, the reason they're so nuts, and and incidentally, when you challenge them, they say, but so-and-so at UC Berkeley says there's no evidence for ESP or, you know, whatever it happens to be. In other words, they use bishops who have an approved list of books that you can read. If you try to, I say, listen, I'm not asking you to buy God Reconsidered. Why don't you go get Dean Radin's The Conscious Universe or Michael Crichton's Travels? He's got a great appendix on this stuff in there. Or Michael Schmicker's Best Evidence or any number of other things. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and, and is a the series bar- of, um, of essays. I just want to throw this out there. A series of brilliant essays. Each one yeah. would just get you up. They're motivating is the best way to put it. Yeah, and what's interesting about it, my uh, Sandra, my wife, knew Crichton before he went on those journeys around the world. Oh. He had gone through a divorce, and he decided to kind of see the world. He had, you know, he had... Um, the uh, some best-selling science fiction novels, uh, Andromeda Strain. He was a graduate of Harvard Medical School, so he came from a very traditional scientific background. But as he traveled, he also went through an internal journey, and he began changing his ideas about what reality was. So when he came back, the Skeptic Society in Pasadena 
said, hey, you know, why don't you come and talk to us about the frontiers of science and stuff like that since, you know, you've written these great science fiction things. He said, sure. So he, he wrote out his speech and he got, was getting prepared and he mentioned it to a friend and word got back to the skeptic society that he was going to talk heresy. And he was going to talk about experiences that they didn't want him to share. So they disinvited him. So he got his revenge by turning this into the appendix of the book Travels, which does have some supernatural stuff in it, you know. So, yeah, uh, yeah. And the bottom, the bottom line is this. They get unbelievably hysterical. They will not read a book. I said, I had these guys on Facebook the other day. They said, you're just trying to sell your book. I said, listen, it's right then it's on sale for 99 cents. If you don't feel you got your money's worth, I will mail you a dollar. And the, the, the hysterical reaction, they will not read anything that they think challenges. They've already decided reality has been predetermined. There is an absolute 100% scientific consensus worldwide on this. It can't possibly exist. So I mention all that to say that the reason I opened the book about God with this is to show that you have to first allow the possibility that there would be a supernatural dimension if you want to address the God issues. These guys won't do that, and the reason they're so hysterical properly is they are afraid that it's a slippery slope, that if you open the door to mm-hmm. ESP, which Sigmund Freud, an atheist, believed in, it was just a natural phenomenon, if you open that door, then suddenly, you know, it's demons and ghosts and so forth and so vampires or whatever, you know. So that's why they so fiercely uh, resist. I mean, they have their own inquisition, you know, and uh, I could tell you stories. Uh, this is not just in this narrow field, but the the um, kind of the keeper gatekeepers of truth, I have a background in alternative medicine, and there were, you know, really tragic stories there, and the bottom line about writing this book is that I wanted to expose the hypocrisy of the fake skeptics, number one. Number two, uh, the second part of the book uh, kind of brought me to my knees, as it were, um, the intellectual problems of why there is so much suffering of innocence. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I don't believe Mm -hmm. that mainstream religions have good answers to this. So I wrote the book in order to show people what I learned. And this was all a crisis that happened um, starting in 1989 in 1990, I met Scott Rogo, the great parapsychologist, did the final interview with him. I don't think anybody ever did anything like this. It ran in Fate magazine, and then I was off and running writing for UFO magazine when it was with the Eckers, and then you guys, and uh, I started going around the world uh, researching religions, and Sandra, um, who had been a platonic friend up until that point, began joining me, and we went everybody, everywhere from Saudi Arabia, Cuba, Japan. We um, were in a lot of different uh, religious ceremonies in India and stuff, and I tried to kind of combine everything I had learned searching for the truth for myself into 
kind of a logical presentation, and at the end, I give people what I finally decided to do. But that is, was kind of the genesis of this whole thing and how Sandra and I became involved in this wild journey. Well, how, well, how did the two of you meet? Well, ironically enough, you know, I mentioned this do- famous Dr. Irola. Um, by uh, I, my life, has, the way miracles or synchronicities manifest in my life is the strange way that I ended up managing two Whole food stores in the middle of the 1970s when this was really outre. Mm-hmm. And she came into one of my stores and asked me, started asking me questions about nutrition. And so that's how we met. But she was just a platonic friend for the next 15 years. And then um, through some other weird, very weird coincidences, you know, we began a relationship together. But well, uh, when she was, was asking you about yeah. nu- nutrition, yeah. would she eventually come to school you on nutrition, or did you? Or- no, no, no. I was. I had founded um, a national newspaper called Vegetarian World, which I sold to Vegetarian Times eventually. So, from oh. 1973 to 1983, I was having a dual career as an editor. Uh, on holistic medicine, vegetarianism, and all that. And I was managing these big stores. And how all that stuff came about was uh, truly miraculous. My life has been filled with synchronicities. And I found the more I did a spiritual practice like meditation or something, the more of these things would happen. So, Mm -hmm. And she, I found, I, I knew about her magical background because... When I had first met her, shortly after I first met her, like a few months later, she had her first experience with ritual magic, and she was so terrified, she confided in me. She said, listen, I've got to tell you about something that happened and get your opinion on mm-hmm. it. So that's kind of how we opened up the discussion about all Well, there was something about the way that you described how Sandra is different. She's not your ordinary new age kind of woo-woo mm-hmm. kind of, mm-hmm. you know, I guess I always think of the girl yep. from not who sings Rihanna or yep. the song Rihanna, yeah. uh, Stevie Nicks. So, yeah. Yeah. And right. so you, but you, in other words, the real deal, someone who really, yeah, they, too, too many, too many, you know, new age pagans think that if you dance in a circle with a maypole or something like that, uh, you know that that that's going to bring down the spirits to talk to and stuff like that. And and I knew secondhand from having grown up Mormon, where there's a lot of kind of interaction with the supernatural. I had heard about you know the other side. I didn't have a personal experience with that, but she was the first person who credibly told me that she had had this encounter with. Uh, other forces, shall we say? Okay. Well, so. let's leave that for when when we talk yep. to her. Yeah. One of the, you know, Scott. One of the questions that I wanted to ask you about yep. your travels, about mm-hmm. what you discovered in your um, yeah. doing comparative religions. Um, what do you think of the possibility that religion, especially ancient religions, but religion in general? Um, really has such a political aspect to it that that's why it picks up the flavor of the culture where it thrives. I mean, Christianity literally, I mean, Rome, the Roman Empire literally became the Catholic Church. I mean, there was no, I mean, uh, the only difference was you changed 
what you worshipped, but the structure. Yeah, but, but, don't you think the but the structure of the, of, of the church was the structure of Rome. Yeah, but don't you also think the thing that each religion conquers and squashes out or tries to squash out is the thing that they ultimately become? You well, know? right, uh, and so that, that isn't just a, uh, um, a, a church, a religion. It's also in nation building. Absolutely, and it's in cultural. You know, I mean, we are. The people that we hurt, we become them. I mean, look at, I mean, one of the great things about um, Bob uh, Hieronymus that you mentioned was Bob Hieronymus pointing out in his books that rather than look at the, um, rather than look at the, at the Masonic temple for the foundation of American government, what we should look at would be the Native American, uh, the indigenous peoples, the first peoples tribes that we supplanted because our federal government literally isn't based on England. It's based on Native American. Uh, it's based on the governments that Native Americans had. Sure. The, the idea nations, of confederate. Yeah. yeah it's ba- yeah. yeah I, 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 the Mormons have a very, very close relationship with Native Americans. So I grew up and, um, there's a whole because Sandra went with me to the the Hopi reservation to meet the the oldest uh, Hopi priest, and we got to know Thomas Males, who was one of the great writers on uh, Native American religion and stuff like that. So we have a lot of awareness. I just went down to Guatemala to um, to study the the cities there for the Mayans. I used to lecture quite a bit on the Maya. Uh, at UCLA. So I've had a, a long-term interest in all this. Now, with regard to kind of the political slash religion relationship, um, I think the most important thing that I've discovered is, and and I have um, on my website, godreconsidered.com, I, I have a, an interview where I get into some of this, is <clears throat> shamanism. You know, ghosts are universal to human culture throughout history and prehistory. So there, if you take that as a starting point, um, uh, what's most interesting, I think, is how many truly valid supernatural experiences uh, there are. And by when I say truly valid, I mean, for example, we talked last time about Fatima, and uh, there were 40,000 witnesses, many of them atheists, and, um, you know, the Virgin Mary has appeared. And, and yet, you know, when you read Scott Rogo's book, Miracles, he talks about how there's this little silver oval right next to the image of the Virgin that people described. Um, Harold Bloom, who wrote The American Religion, uh, talked about how Joseph Smith was one of the few people capable of getting masses, thousands of people to see his visions of angels and so forth when they dedicated temples and stuff. So, uh, and again, we've spent time in India. I know the Hindus have, can tell you about, you know, visits from the gods and stuff like that. Now, I happen not to so much think that the UFO phenomenon is entirely that. I don't necessarily think that the aliens are uh, manifesting as gods to uh, for their own nefarious purposes. For one thing, I think evolution was not guided. It doesn't appear to have had any alien intervention or divine intervention. Um, so I think, though, that these spirits do like to play God throughout history. So um, it's not simply a matter of poli- politics, 
But more importantly, if you will, there's supernatural politics where certain spirits appear to Muhammad because they want to promote a certain kind of religion, for better or worse, or they, um, you know, like uh, certainly miracles in the Catholic Church, like uh, um, St. Teresa levitated, I think that's very well proven, the stigmata, you know, things like that. Mm -hmm. So what interests me the most is how this manifests in different ways in different cultures. And so I get a little bit into that, and I, I my third chapter for the skeptics is on what I think is very persuasive evidence that human beings do survive death. What happens after that is uh, another issue. But in any event, you probably should talk to Sandra about that because she knows more about the supernatural directly than I do. I've had a right, couple but of I have, Okay, but I have, I, have, I have one quick yeah. question, and that uh -huh. is, um, have you yourself ever seen or anything very strange or weird? Has anything happened to you personally? Yes. Okay. Uh, I've I've seen a UFO, and by that I mean I don't know what it was, but um, my ex-wife and a couple of police were looking at it. It was changing shape and colors a couple hundred feet up in the sky, for example. Secondly, I've had a couple of mystical experiences. What got me on the, the road to find the truth, which was the genesis of this book, was... Um, I had taken the landmark forum, and there were other stresses going on in my life, and I had about a two-hour mystical experience where I had direct knowledge of what I call the great lie that is at the foundation of all the major religions, which is that we're here to exercise our free will and obey God's commandments, whatever God that may be, so that we can either go to heaven or reincarnate in a better life and make spiritual progress. This all sounds very nice, but the evidence contradicts it. Uh, it's quite clear that the creator of this world is not a benevolent deity. And that is the, kind of the starting point for what I get into about why I ended up embracing Gnosticism, but it it counter it goes counter to all other major religions. But that, now the other thing is what Sandra and I call many miracles, which are these bizarre synchronicities. Everywhere we go in the world, every everywhere, um, you know, the, in different cultures, uh, they manifest a lot in our travels, the people we meet, things that open up. And I mean, I could, I could, you know, devote well, a whole show to these kind of uh, well, let's bizarre start. things. But let's that's start. how they, that's how they man, that's how they manifest in my life. And um, I do think, in general, when you meditate or do visualization or prayer and so forth, that these kind of things get magnetized more. Well, um, as you suggested, let's start and ask Sandra about the uh, background that led up to meeting her Wicca teacher. I want to start ah, there. Let me put Sandra on. Cool. Thank you, Scott. Hello. Hi, Sandra. Hi. Thanks for joining us. Hi. Thank you. I'm glad to talk to you. Hi, Sandra. Okay. Hi. Scott has really filled in, huh? I'm sure you got a lot of good information on that. He was well, amazing, Sandra. Yeah, <laughs> he, he has a very, 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 very uh, warm way of describing you. And um, so he suggests that we talk about the, the background. What led to meeting your Wicca teacher and who, what does that mean, your Wicca teacher? Well, I'll tell you a little bit about myself first. 
I've had, you know, a very, very verbally abusive childhood, born into a secular Jewish family who moved constantly. And I was going to ask you if you're friend, Cuban because that sounds like my childhood. <laughs> the only Bills. books I had, the, yeah. only, the only friends I ever had was books. That's all I had time for. So I was became very rebellious. Yeah very rebellious, very angry, and I planned my escape as early as possible. And uh, I, I was very creative and very artistic. I looked much older than my age. And I became, during one summer, a young jewelry designer. And almost as soon as possible, I was able to afford an apartment in New York. And those days were much cheaper, of course. And I went to art school at night got my apartment, and I thought, well, success would really help me feel more connected with life. Well, it really wasn't very fulfilling, and I didn't really want to become a a trophy wife, so I just read books and looking for answers, and no luck until I first had my, through illness, uh, a a near-death experience, and all of a sudden, uh, the invisible world just opened up for me, and uh, I I just couldn't believe it. At last, I saw there was another dimension to everything. So I moved to California, and I first, when I got there, I joined the Gurji Foundation because that was the best I could do at that time. And I read many, many books, you know, The Golden Dawn, et cetera, et cetera, everything, initiation into hermetics. And I thought, well, I had no hope that there would be anything in this lifetime that would come near meeting anybody of that caliber ever. Mm-hmm. I met people, you know, that was the time when the New Age movement was very, very strong, and everyone was a wannabe. They all thought they were these powerful people. And I met a lot of authors, a lot of people. I kind of like met people, and they all were phonies. Nobody had anything going on, and I knew it. So I had no hope for anything at that time. And uh, this was, you know, they were really pathetic. It just was a very unlikely time. And then, lo and behold, I met some kind of strange-looking guy who had just about the same books I had, and I couldn't believe it. And he, you know, we talked a little bit, and I asked a few questions, and he said he was willing to work with me. And I said, oh, sure, you know, you, like Mm -hmm. others, nothing Mm -hmm. much. And I was so absolutely sure nothing would come of it. We made an appointment on a Christmas Eve, and I was so sure it wouldn't be anything that I was going to go to a party later on. Mm-hmm. And this person came over, and he didn't look like anything much at that time. And um, he he came over with his little case of equipment and things. And I had some flowers he asked me for and all that. We had made some tea that I made. And then he asked me a strangest question. He said, have you ever really been inside, you know, a magic circle? And I said, well, no, but I've read about them and all that. He said, well, but one thing I want to tell you, whatever you do, whatever we do, I don't want you to get up and walk out of the circle. So I agreed. And, um, you know, I thought, well, you know, let us play his little game at that point. I still didn't think anything was going to happen. And we started. Well, as he started, he opened up his little case. And he started walking east, north, south, and west. And as he walked and did what he was doing, this energy came up in this room that was so frightening and so overwhelming that literally I thought I was going to die. My hair just stood on ends. I was never so frightened in my whole life. I thought, oh, my God, what did I invite into my house, my last thought I can think of? Mm. And I just absolutely was like, it was like, it was like, Nothing you could, anyone could ever imagine. It was such a strong energy. I lived in this place that had two front windows and a front door like a little townhouse. And the energy was so very, very strong that I, I didn't think I could live. I thought, how could any human being walk around and do what he's doing and stand up? How could that be? How could that be? How could that be? And then all of a sudden, 
it dawned on me. The last thing I remembered was saying, oh, my God, it works, you know. Mm. And I was, like, frightened to death. I thought he was the devil. I wouldn't even look at him when I started to kind of come down. And I had my head down. I wouldn't even make eye contact. I was so scared. But I did manage to say to him, you know, whispered, actually, can I leave the circle? Can I close the windows? The windows, oh, he said, begone, begone. And the two windows opened up, the front front windows opened up in the door somewhat. And I said, can I close the windows? And he said, yes. So I got up, still not looking at him. I think he said to me, you know, you'll forget this tomorrow. And I said, no, I won't. And I was like terrified, absolutely terrified, so scared, never been so scared in my life. Like, I never want to see this person again. I don't even know what I did. I just don't know. Well, the, I think the reason I had asked him to do this with me, I had one of my usual unsuccessful relationships at that point, and it was giving me a little bit of pain, and I thought maybe he could alleviate or turn it my way or something. Well, I fell into a deep sleep, and when I woke up, I could not believe the burden was lifted. I felt completely somewhat relieved, and I said, well, I'm never going to see him again anyway. But a couple of months went by, and I did get over my stage fright. And when he called, he called a couple of times. At first I said, no, 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 no. And then I said, you know, why not? I think I can handle this. So that was the beginning of our relationship. And it did last about, I would say, seven or eight years. And uh, I did, I really became his vessel. And I never met anybody like him, never heard of anybody quite like him in my lifetime. And to be like a divine vessel, you're really an assistant because this man has been training since he was very, very young. And the kind of work he trained me, but I really couldn't do as much as he would have liked. I did put in a couple of hours a day for quite a few years, never matched up to what he was doing. And I was privileged and I felt very delighted that I was the vessel. And I thought, well, you know, this is this is a pretty fabulous thing to be. And I thought being a, a vessel of this sort was the greatest gift I ever would ever have received or hoped for. And I didn't even think that it was even possible because you know, he had trained since childhood, and I was well, with him well, for many years. Yeah. When you say work, what kind of specific work? Work did would you be do? work would be in your in his mind and in my mind. In his mind, he could turn anything around. Now, the kind of work I trained was to do cross visualizations of of a certain nature where there were cross-section, inside, outside, hours and hours of different, you know, mantras, different words. I worked as hard as I could, and he was always kind of like hard on me for it. He wanted more and more and more, and I put in as much time as I could. So I was happy to have him work with me on the capacity that I was there. Well, when, when, you say, work, when, you, when you say mantras, are you saying that you were sort words. of doing the kind of work that we now call remote viewing in which you kind of have to go through training and uh, in all so- how- yes, how to- all sorts of training, all sorts of mental imagery, all sorts of work, pictures I had to use to turn upside down, inside out, to, to be underneath it, to see it from every angle. It was very difficult work for me. For me, mm-hmm. it was very, very difficult. And he felt, you know, I could do it. In fact, he told Scott. Scott did get did meet him. Would this be would this be a a feature of honing your imagination? Much more than that. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was absolutely. uh, If you could describe, if I could describe, let's say, 
I would have to use a negative word for it, Rosemary's baby, that kind of energy, where there's no word to describe anything. The world turns inside out. You're not even there. You're hardly there. I, I was very lucky to be alive. That's how I felt. That first time, I was scared to death I wasn't going to live. And I don't even know how I got through that. And I think, I think, you know, I was just very determined and fortunate, and I began to use him for certain things. I had relatives that uh, needed some medical things. He did things for me. He did things for me, and I, I was the only one I knew that he worked with, and this lasted some years, and then he, 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 he died. And when he died, uh, then he passed on. You know, I've never found, I call that high magic. I never found anybody that could come near to that quality and to that kind of work, and it would be the most difficult thing to try to put it into words. There is no words to describe. Well, well did he ever? Magic. Did he ever charge for his magic? No, mm-hmm. no, no, never charged. Of course not. And uh, of course he didn't charge. He, he was. He felt. He had said. He told me once that he had studied in Tibet, and that he had met one woman in Tibet he worked with. And I think, in fact, Scott had gone with me. We had gone to see a, somebody he knew someplace in Thousand Oaks, and that person had known him. And he was kind of envious. He felt he would have liked to have been the person. He would have liked to have been the person he worked with. But I just felt I was. And I met a few of his people. I met a few of his friends in that period of time. And, you know, very, very, very impressive. I've never met a more knowledgeable man. And I thought I was very privileged. And when that started happening, right after when he passed, I started channeling my art, which is what I'm doing today, which is, you know, fabulous visionary art. So it was like a gift and a gift and a gift. And I became a well-trained, certified hypnotherapist, which I was going to promote, but the art kind of took over and, you know, kind of took over and it just became something I love to do. I feel like I won the lottery. When I paint, when I work, it's not work at all. It's like I'm in the zone that I love to do right now. And, you know, that's where I am at the moment. And we'll see what I'm going to be doing in the future. Um, Right now, you know, it's, it's, I'm hoping to work with, like I like working with a, some very good creative imagery work. When I fell and hurt myself very badly, I did spend, I would say, four to five to six hours a day for about a year and a quarter with the right nutrition. I healed it. The prognosis was not good. I had broken some bones in my leg that were so bad. They said they don't think I'd ever really do well. Well, I do very well. I run and everything else. There's no problem. But I did spend over a year doing special imagery, medical-type imagery. There is medical-type imagery. You have to really know what you're doing because you have to find it. What's in right. <clears throat> yeah, and the medical, the imagery that I like to, to use is uh, creative imagery. And that's so this particular book, How to Visualize in All Five Senses, uh, he's not alive anymore. His name is William uh, Fesler, and he had two or three books. I like all of his books, and I think he's the most in-depth, uh, in-depth uh, uh, imagery professional because he works with 20 million shades of gray, really gets into it. And that, in conjunction with using, there's an institute in Virginia that has CDs that are, uh, they're, they put you in the alpha state. Left the, the, right Mon- the Monroe, the Monroe Institute. Yes, Monroe. You know it. Yes, at Monroe yeah. Institute, they have very good CDs and they're excellent because they do put you right in the state that you can reprogram yourself because we all sabotage, we're all imprinted. So we have free will and no free will at the same time. So that's where I am today. And anybody, you know, can reach me through Scott's thing. I'm in the process of getting my own 
I was uh, going to say that you a year yeah, ago yeah, you I promised. I've been so busy with the art. I've been so busy with everything. It's just I am yeah. somewhat of a procrastinator, I must admit. But Scott is a great teacher. We've been together many, many years. It's been a great adventure, and uh, we just have the best time you can imagine. It's been the greatest journey. If I was to pick, if I was to ever imagine where I started out from, the most insecure, you know, really pathetic little creature no matter how pretty everyone thought I was and beautiful didn't matter a bit what I got now is a thousand times more I never ever realized that I could possibly you know to me it's been the best gift ever so that's really where well, I am do you today. think you would be do you think you'd be where you are today if you had not had the near-death experience do you think it took no, something I, I think, that I think the terrible childhood and the near-death experience was a great uh tool for me to have i think i think like anything if you're given a real hard time if you're really determined if you really want it if you really work for it i think that that is a big 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 plus i think it was like all that horrible early childhood stuff was a great gift the near-death experience was fabulous but i followed through with it you know I, I didn't let it go and i looked and looked and looked and read when i got to california i was involved with the Guruji foundation for many years you know i did a lot of stuff sannyasin type of thing i mean i did many 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 things and nothing really cut it till i worked with him mm. because that was the turning point you can't top that that's like icing on the cake well did he have a certain did he teach a certain flavor of wicca well uh, he, he he was trained in tibet he used green tara and green tara is an entity that like all entities that are available to anybody if you're prepared that's the secret if you're available you got to be available to be available that's the training to be available to that and so i was good for him i was like a vessel and he would use me and it was better for him because of me, and that's why I, that was my contribution. But everything is available to those that are prepared. But there's so few people, I think, I don't know about today. I read about them years and years and years and years ago, but I don't know what's around today at this mm-hmm. moment. Uh, but he was totally prepared. And well, don't you, think, uh, don't you think it's true that when the student is ready, the teacher will arise? I don't know if that's true. It was true for me, but I don't know about anybody. I don't know. I don't know if it's true. I think that you have to really, really want something. I really wanted it really bad. I really yeah. did want it. And I you really made yourself o- open and available. Um, I made another, myself open. Yeah. I, I read so many books and so much stuff and so much. I really was obsessed with it. I could not keep my hands off the possibility. I truly didn't think it would happen. Because, I mean, I thought those were 100 years ago. Who knows now? Right, right. You know, that's another country. But I didn't think I'd ever meet anybody in this country, especially with my background. I really wasn't, you know, an academic scholar of that sort. I really I really didn't think that I kind of, like, surprised that I got it because I didn't really know if I deserved it. It was that great. Again, when I first met Scott and we told, I told him about it, and he met him, and he knew what I was talking about. He absolutely knew I was telling him the truth because, of, you know, you can tell when someone's telling the truth. And uh, he was amazed because everybody would like to experience that kind of thing. I would think so. I don't know. But I just felt it was the best. And right now, today, you know, we have all these trips planned. We have all these things planned. I've, we have all these major plans. Right now, my whole focus now is on, you know, longevity, Eating, eating the best you can, thinking the best you can, trying to fill up your life with the very best things you can so that you're prepared to 
take on, you know, another another dimension of living. I think that we're all too superficial. There's much more out there. I so you so you listen. feel you feel uh, perhaps I don't think we're all the same age. I think Bill and I are significantly older than you and Scott. But we're all all of us on the planet. We're all you know aging. We're on this kind of treadmill that's well, moving that and moving sidewalk. Yeah, but yeah, so, but so you know. You know yeah, but I think that could be worked with a great deal, much more than people think. Much, 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 much more. I mean, like the singularity is here. There's great people on the planet now that have great information, great information, fabulous stuff. If you listen closely, that's what I'm looking at. I study it now like crazy. Right. I'm and really do you interested. do you open do you open yourself to all sorts of um, um, ways of people uh, contacting you? For example, in person, YouTube. Uh, well, not, email. not yet, because I've I've been kind of busy and selfish with my art and other things. You know, I'm I'm kind of kind of private at the moment, but that'll change. And uh, you know, it's it's my own pace because I really feel that I'm just you know kind of like doing something that I like at the moment. But I have plans for other things in the near future. Well, well do you I, have? Uh, no, no. I was going to ask: Are are you uh, planning on um, putting up your artwork on your website? Yeah, that's going to be that's part of my new thing. Of course, the visionary artwork is a meditative tool. You can use that, and that's an opening. That's what people buy my art when they, I have to collect with some people. When they buy the art, that's what they use it for. I mm-hmm. feel that I'm a you know real feminist. It opens up women to who they could be before they were programmed into stuff that they've been told all their life, and they see that possibility, and it's very very fulfilling and very uplifting. Do you realize? In, do you realize in 2020, if Hillary Clinton is in office, it will be only 100 years that women have even had the right to vote in this country to give you some idea of the I struggle. Of the struggle. I understand that. Yeah. 2,000 years ago, women were goddesses. They somehow lost their power. They listened to the propaganda. Men invented chastity belts, whatever. I don't want to get up on that race. Well, I think the industrial, I, the, I the industrial Revolution and, and organized farming, if you listen to Terrence McKenna, and I always do, I love yeah, Terrence I do, McKenna. I love him. I love Terrence. Yeah. yeah, he's great. And you just kind of listen to any of Just start anywhere with Terrence, any place, just hook in yeah, and place. start listening. Right. Yeah. And then just it's listen over news. and over. Yeah, it's a great universe out there. I've met a lot of fabulous people in my life. A lot, so much you can't believe. Sound like Donald Trump? So much you can't believe. It's huge. It's just huge. <laughs> but it's well, fun. don't you think yeah. though? Uh, I mean, aren't you um, fascinated by what's going on right now politically? In terms it. of, I've never um, been that much into politics, but now I'm. I, I've, I've listened to it all day long. I just can't believe. Me too. It. We, I Bill and I Hillary. too. Sadly, I love Hillary. I love her. Love her. Love her. Can't believe our luck. I hope. I think she will. I'm sure she's going to do it. But I mean, I'm so. I'm so glad to hear I, this I, because you're a second oh, person. Oh yeah, I just yeah. absolutely adore her. Um, I think she's the most. Would I, you? I mean, uh, what would you? Shut up. What would you? What would you think <laughs> if she chose Elizabeth Warren as her running mate? I, I, I fantasize I about. I think it'd be great. I think they'd be great together i think elizabeth is a is a powerhouse i think she's smart i think she has no fear i think i think she would be great i think she we talked scott and i talked about that today if she has her that would be a great ticket it'll be a fun thing to see if donald trump chooses Joni ernst chris chris brown is also no no no, he's the most evil man i've ever heard in my life yeah but if he chooses Joni ernst yeah, and, and he chooses Elizabeth Warren. You would have Joni Ernst and Elizabeth Warren again. Two people uh, with views that couldn't be more Scott different. Is po- Scott is the political giant. He he was going to be in politics. 
primarily, and he never really got his dream, but he, he's the one that is the political genius in our family here. He's the one. Anyway, that's about what I can say right well, our, now. Our friend Chris uh, Brown is also on the line, and Chris mentioned a few weeks ago something I think was very smart and very telling, and that is be prepared. Donald Trump is the kind of person who could just pick up his marbles and quit at any point. And I think that's one of the that's one of the weirdo things going on. It might um, happen today because if you notice, Donald Trump has made so many blunders the last couple of days. He's made a complete fool. He doesn't have that that confidence in his voice today. I listened to him today. He okay, pretty hey, he's still winning in the polls. Cool <laughs> Here's, okay, I will give you my take on this thing with the judge thing, and it's yeah. This. What, what is what it's is this. that? Yeah, Donald sure. Trump is going for a mistrial. He first of all. <laughs> If you look at some of the rulings that this judge has um, given, he actually favors Trump U. You might be right, Trump U. But but I think what Trump is doing is he's looking for a mistrial. And so one way is uh, to get a mistrial is to beat on the judge, get the surrogates to beat on the judge. Have the judge make one comment in his own defense and Trump's lawyers could then claim... you you got to tell Scott evidence. that. That is so wild. I can't believe Scott. Listen to this for a minute. Hold yeah. on. Okay. <laughs> now yeah. you got to give him the backstory, though. No, no, no. Uh, uh, the backstory, Scott, is this. That you, what I was telling Sandra was my theory of the case here with this attack on, 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 on the Judge Curiel is that Trump is looking for a mistrial. Because the judge hasn't, oh, given, hmm. hasn't given really negative rulings uh, on True. the Trump U case. I mean, mm-hmm. he, he's been pretty balanced. In fact, um, his lawyers actually would think that he's given um, the university, Trump U, uh, more favorable u- rulings than the, um, than the litigants, than the plaintiffs. Hmm. So – um, but Trump has already given money back, and, and he's being sued in New York, uh, a civil suit as well. But when you look at the on, – on the surface, it seems insane for Donald Trump to attack a federal judge uh, uh, racially. It just – I mean there's no logic to it. Yeah, but what you said earlier is so fearful. But, if, if, but, he, if he seditions people to – He is Mexican and he did but, belong to La Raza. But, no, that's, eh, but if Trump can get or his surrogates can get this the judge to say something in his own defense, Trump's lawyers can they uh, can then say, well, you know, this guy – goes over the entire United States government, the entire presidential thing for something so trivial as one of his – Well, that's the, uh, that's the bad – that's the really bad thing, that he's involving an entire political campaign for the highest office not only in the country but in the world. He's, he, he's dragging this in to something that is political and not private. It is. It is. Well, Hillary's doing the same thing with the the scandals going on with her. She may be indicted also. It's different. Well, I, I don't. I don't. I don't think so. I'll, I'll tell you. I'm. I have a background in politics. I knew Bill Clinton before he was famous, and we've met Hillary. And I have research. I I go to redstate.com and political and daily costs and all that kind of stuff. Uh, Tom Friedman 
uh, wrote a piece in the New York Times a few days ago where he said, and you know, Friedman is famously very centrist. And he said, if you line up Trump's brazen lies next to Hillary's fibs, you realize that on the one hand, hers all come out of this kind of paranoia and secrecy out of being beaten up for 30 years. Right. And they're, they're stupid. But Trump's lies are dangerous to the country and the world. Now, this Friedman is not a radical. Anybody who's read his books, he's for free trade, you know. Um, and uh, so you can't on the same level. And incidentally, um, Jason... Chaffetz or whatever the guy's name is, the representative who's in Uh, Utah. Yeah, he said said today, um, you know something, uh, if it turns out the FBI's not going to indict her, we're okay with that. And that's where it's going to end up. I've read several several others. I could even see, you know, when you think about how this all started, I can see her looking at her Blackberry and saying, I don't want to use anything else but this. You know, and like just saying, I don't want to have to adapt to something else. I love this BlackBerry. All my email is on this BlackBerry. I mean, she was the senator from New York. She, she had this device. She said, why can't all my email be on this? And that's yeah. she's stupid. Listen, she's stupid about technology. People around her have said that, you know, she doesn't quite well, Scott, get the technology Scott, we're the, stuff. I'm the, we're the same age, and women of our generation – uh, I wasn't one of them, but a big deal it was was made by some women not to learn how to type, so that you would exactly. never ever be right. stuck. Ah, you know, interesting sitting down, point. You know, Very absolutely. important. And so it, it's sort of a class level thing, and the and the thing about it is she was killer on her BlackBerry. And the thing about the server, it became a kind of a trendy thing for a while. Um, that you could have your own server. It was more secure than anything. It yeah. was a good idea at the time, and it kind of came and went. I mean, right. Angel, for example, could himself serve as a server. He's got lots and lots and lots of hard drives. Correct. Yeah. And, you know, wow. it, and if you're kind of – if some young child of somebody comes in and says, I can make it even more secure by putting, giving you yep. – this is before this all became cast in stone, and as you know – um, the secret or the codes for the for the nuclear warheads are still on eight and a half inch floppies. And there's a reason yeah. for that too. Yeah. So what I'm saying is this is not a this yep. is not a government that likes change that way. No, and, I I I can I can definitely say that that all those factors come in. Now I have dealt with both the Trump and the Sanders people online uh, in the comment section, everything else. And uh, the level of demonization, I've known lots of Republicans. I was going to work for Harry Reid at one point as a speechwriter. And uh, the the level of bizarre demonization, if you recall back to the, the Clinton presidency, you know, there were a lot of people who were saying, oh, the Clintons killed people. And there right. were all these internet, before the internet, they were really going around, you know, these lectures and, and CDs and everything else about, you know, their murderous past and everything. And if you watch the uh, covers of, you know, the but National this Enquirer is a big and everything. Deal, you know. I remember seeing that same thing, too. It all tied in with the damn running marijuana. And, and uh, well, that was Bobby. Yeah, that was the whole Bobby Seal stuff. Bobby's boys. Oh, yeah. The mm-hmm. Dixie Bafta, uh, the yeah. secret airfield uh, uh, that George yep. Bush, Iran-Contra, Bill Clinton taking over for that. I mean, and there are and there are indicators. For example, 
uh, back in the very early 1990s, the DEA was running this worldwide sting. And one of the problems was that um, Janet Reno was getting very, very upset at the size of the DEA sting. And so she wanted it shut down. But one of the things that the DEA wouldn't do is back when Reagan was president, the uh, the, uh, the DEA was um, opened up an investigation into money laundering by uh, in uh, the BCCI, right? That Bank of Commerce where Ollie North was making all these deposits. And that was the financing organization that was running Iran-Contra. And the district, uh, the attorney general shut down that investigation. And so there are legitimate gripes. But the fact is that Hillary Clinton wasn't president during those years. She was the first lady. So you can't really tag her with that stuff. Yeah, but, you know, it's a little bit. Remember who who was the spearhead of the birther thing? Trump. Exactly. Uh, There there is a certain very large kind of tea party part of the party which uh will believe any internet rumor i mean i've been but it always trolling makes him look stupid when he goes off on these tangents because he doesn't ever he he doesn't know what he's doing as he's doing it yeah. he's, he gets very bad intelligence <clears throat> and of yeah. course what's going on right now is and still he's leading in the polls but well gets, but you know well, something it doesn't mean anything because you know, um, one of the PACs supporting Hillary mentioned that when they started running those commercials a few weeks ago, they said, we found out that half of Americans really don't have a firm opinion of Trump. They haven't been paying attention. All of us political junkies, the 24 million who turned in, tuned into the first GOP debate, you know, we understand for, you know, the, regardless of whether we're for or against him, but most of the country is preoccupied with other stuff. And incidentally, when we traveled to India and Egypt and other places in the world uh, after the 2000 and 2004 elections, people cornered us and said, what is wrong with you Americans? When we went to Canada a few years ago to write a travel story on Toronto, They said, you know something, you guys are like our evil twin. Mm -hmm. You know, you crash your bank system. Uh, Anybody could have seen this coming, the the housing thing. We didn't go through all those crazy things, you know. People around the world think we are completely nuts. I mean, there were uh, our rickshaw driver in the ghetto of Old Delhi was very upset and knew more about American politics than most Americans do. So... Are, you know, the Founding Fathers, and I've written very, very extensively about them because uh, I wrote about 600 columns on leadership for investors. Did you see the series was... called John Adams? Yes. I, well, not only that, I've written about not only Adams, but his son, John Quincy Adams. Mm-hmm. And I have a chapter in my book, Extraordinary People, who was the greatest diplomat in American history. But my point, though, is... The Founding Fathers feared a dictatorship and the mob, and Andrew Jackson was the first one to kind of break through uh, and, you know, become kind of a dictator, the thing they feared. And they would have feared a Trump because they understood that the mass of American people, although they are technically literate, they are not well informed and they're easily inflamed and that can lead to problems, you know. Well, so yeah, that's why they hobbled the course. That's and, why. And, here, and here's the thing that you say that and that is exactly why I think he will win because mostly American so. people no, are not. Because he's not, not going to win and I'll tell you why. 
Oh, we'll, uh, see, in a, we'll see in a few months. <laughs> no, no, but I mean, I, I, right. I'm, I will predict right now there are a number of reasons why. One is, you know, somebody said he's got a um, political Tourette syndrome where he cannot stop himself from saying offensive things. Uh, it's part of his persona. And he will continue on a daily basis to do things that he is never going to apologize for. He's the only person I've ever studied in in leadership uh, who would not apologize for a mistake. Okay, that is a fatal flaw, and the stubbornness combined with it, he will bring down himself. Uh, it seems highly likely that there will be a lot of Republicans I've known who are moderate who will go into the voting booth not admitting what they're doing and will pull the lever either for the libertarians or for Hillary because they want to save the country. You know, you probably heard what George Will said. He said, it is the responsibility of the Republican Party this election has they have one responsibility and that is to make sure trump is not elected and you know nobody's more kind of republican intelligentsia than he he is the establishment yeah but also you know jonah goldberg uh and and uh, david brooks in the new york times i mean there are a lot you know anybody uh, with Paul, ethics and a brain, he's always done a lot of hatchet jobs. And we were we were in the publishing business in New York with his mother, okay, mm-hmm. who kind of spearheaded the Linda, you know, and the Linda Trump stuff comes to be. Uh, and Tripp, also, yeah. we did a book with this guy named Jerry Corsi, who ended up being in charge of you know helping with the whole swift boating of Carrie, oh, in God. which. They were able to flip. They were able to take a draft, yeah. do, you know, a guy who got himself. Um, sure. Yeah, and 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 they were able to flip it. So so anything can happen. People well, are so afraid of. Well, anything could the, happen, but yeah. the the difference is no, nobody has been as mentally unstable. You know, you've seen Republican candidates. You know, the the Godfather pizza guy and and. You know the, the yeah, but what do you say? But what do you say to yeah. our to our producer here, Angel? Who, yeah. while we're all on the air, he's saying Trump's yeah. going to win. He wants to see uh, it all burned down. So how do you convince but, Angel to take his very valuable vote? You know, I'm with Angel. After huh? watching D- Donald yeah. Trump today, when he uh, did his uh, shaving the head of Vince McMahon in WWE, I was sure of it that he had enough will and strength to be able to lead our country. What? If you could do that on the World Wrestling Entertainment center right. stage, you, sir, are ready to lead the United States. Well, what, did he do? what did he do? Just describe what he did. Chris? Tell well, there was a match set up probably right. 10 years back it's that back it years. was uh, Vince McMahon had, um, I believe it was Stone Cold Steve Austin and... Also bald-headed. Mm-hmm. Yep, and he had the... <laughs> Jeff, Le, uh, whatever Lachey or whatever his name was, he was. I don't Olympic think he was bald. Yeah, yeah he was. He was a big. He was a big bald guy too. Oh, okay. He's, and he's they went also. and fought some big, uh, two other big guys. I don't know who they were. Vince McMahon guys, and whoever won, uh, got to shave their head. Either Vince McMahon or Donald Trump. Well, we knew who that was going to be. And Vince McMahon ended up losing. And sure enough, Donald Trump went in there with. 
Stone Cold Steve Austin and Lachey guy, and they shaved him down. Even all the way down, they put shaving cream down and and shaved him with the razor blades. When did this show take place? Uh, I would say, oh, it had to be good 10 years ago. maybe 10 years ago? Yeah, maybe a little bit less. And you you got to remember remember something. A lot of what... Yeah, it was a while back. A lot of what Trump does is shtick, and a lot of what he does, he does it to get attention. He is He's an attention hogger. He's always been that way. Yeah, but Angel, he, we're trying to hire him for a job in which yes, he's I under, to Yes, I understand that. He's supposed to listen to people. But Nancy, but here's the thing. He has gotten so much media coverage and spent less than a lot of the other run, people that are running. It doesn't matter. That doesn't matter. No, yes, it does. He's got enough attention from the entire media because of the things he says and does. I I know that. Bill, I understand that. Bill, show. I get, I get all that. I'm trying, to make, I'm trying to make a point, make though, Bill. I'm, I'm, t- I'm trying to make a point here. Let me, let me make a point. I get all that. I understand everything, Bill, what you're saying. My point is that what he has done, and people have not caught on to it, is mostly shtick along with some political stuff that he really does feel like he needs to put forward, like the whole build the wall thing, which I think is ludicrous. But either way, he's done, you know, put little things here and there that he really thinks he should do. And the entire time, if you listen to every time he gets, you know, asks anything, he gives you a run-around answer. He doesn't really give you the right answer or any answer for that matter. He just gives you a, a, some kind of like cookie-cutter answer that he's been giving a billion times over. That's his, that's his, his shtick. Well, you say that, but you say that, you say that, hold on, but you say that, but Nancy, a large part of the population in this country, sorry to say it, it, it's kind of stupid, and they and they look at that and they're like, "Hey, he talks like us." Yeah, he's loud. They may be stupid, and they may say he talks like us, but at a certain point, Americans vote their pocketbooks. Well, we're going to see that in a few months. And, and I'm telling you, he bodies. is going to. It's going to be a landslide. He's going to beat her by a landslide. Okay, their bodies, and and and, you'll and, see. and and ethnic groups vote. Ask Marco Rubio how uh, how he did it. Yeah. Ask Oops. ask Ted Cruz how he beat them. Yeah, ask but Jeb I Bush. I will tell you why. But wait a minute. You see, the only reason... Spending a lot got, less money than any of them. He, the only reason he got elected is the other 16 egos would not get outside of the race. He if bullied his way get, in there. That's the thing. And in, the, in this country, people like that sometimes, when somebody just bullies that, the way into the place my point. and puts their it's foot not, down on things. It's not going to get him an electoral college majority which is something i know a lot about i well, actually see, they've been saying that he's not going they've been saying that he, there's no way he could win from the beginning but, but, and now he's not, the nominee no 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 it's the Scott. electoral college you're not talking about raw votes yeah, now you guys you're describe... talking about uh, you're talking about winning states this yeah. is I completely it's understand a winner that. take all system I know. and i devoted quite a bit of my life in politics to abolishing it so and there there are <laughs> there's actually a movement now to uh, I wouldn't abolish it aren't, aren't you happy they didn't, happy they didn't abolish it now huh <laughs> absolutely but, not abolish it not but here's why here's why he's not going to make it listen they, they re, he far as he did because these other 16 egos wouldn't get out now remember this is a guy who years ago before he knew he was going to run for president and there was a brilliant piece in in the new york times a couple of months ago about how he kind of fell into the presidential run it wasn't really anything that he thought was going to go very far but he was a he was a he was a sincere birther and he also has shown very clearly that he doesn't even have an amateur's grasp of of coherent policy on anything. He doesn't understand when he contradicts himself, which is a it's not a matter of ignorance. 
It's a mental defect that is going to do him in And yet he reason. beat them all. No. That's what I'm no, saying. He, didn't beat, he connects he didn't, to a big he connects to a big large part of the population. No. You want to know yes. why? I'll tell you why. The gerrymandering that happened in the Republican Party created these little pockets of very, very, very white right wing Republicans. And they they built it up as this becomes – you know what gerrymandering is and what they ended up doing? If you watch a good little YouTube on it, like describing – gerrymandering? Gerrymandering. You have to figure – you have to look this up. This is as serious as – Gerrymandering, this, actually. Gerrymandering. G-E-R. Gary Derry who? Gerrymandering. Gerrymandering. It's, the, it's what they've done in every state. Normally, the legislature does it. But every 10 years, you adjust for population in Congress by drawing – the congressional lines, and you can draw them to favor Republicans, Democrats, whites, blacks, any way you want. And yeah, the Republicans have severely uh, overrepresented themselves, and that's why if you look at the population, you know, look at the fact that you know more than half the country is blue, but the Republicans are overrepresented because in places like Texas they have redrawn the districts so that they ensure their own reelection. Right, and they're depending on turning on mashing down the vote. A very small turnout favors the Republicans, and so these. Are, I mean, in other words, something you've got something to hide when you don't open everything up and say let everybody vote who wants to vote for God's sake. Oh, by the way. This is the new Jim Crow that's going on right now. By the the way, just for everybody to know, I'm a registered Democrat. I voted for Obama twice. I voted for Clinton once. Um, I don't vote Republican. So it's not like I'm saying this because I'm yeah, but, a huge um, Trump but, supporter. But what do you know about but Hillary Clinton? From what I'm, from what I've seen, not, from what I've seen in the yeah. spectrum of the the politics of everybody who was involved in this uh, election cycle, first of all, none of these people are even closely, closely adequate to be president of the United States. None of them. Not I one of disagree. these people should be president. That's ludicrous. ludicrous. Mm, I would disagree. Listen, I have written, I've written very, very extensively about the history For many of the presidency, and I've interviewed lots of presidential scholars. Okay, the problem is you're looking at it from the standpoint of what you've been exposed to. Hillary Clinton is perfectly prepared to be president. Uh, I don't think Sanders is. I don't think so. Part of the problem with the economy in this country right now is because of NAFTA, something that Bill Clinton signed into office. Wait, no. Yes, and she supported Well, here's here's my point. Here's the thing. She supported NAFTA when it was being signed. Then she flipped Let me ask you a question. What did you think of Al Gore? Al Gore? You think, do you think he should have been horrible president? He would have been a horrible president. But Bush was not any better. No, Not any better. He got us into the Iraq War. That is, yeah, exactly. He was just as bad. That's the thing. Not just as bad. He is a climate denier. Gore didn't deny climate change. Okay, you. Can't well, that's fan- that's all. Two. That's all great and dandy. I'm not too sold on the whole climate thing either myself, to be honest, because the world goes through many cycles and four. Listen, four, I've films. interviewed, but the whole point is, is the, the whole point is. Climate, here's the point. A lot the of these cats. Uh, look, of all these guys are all the connected. Climate denier ever. I've interviewed the top guy. Okay, it, it's total bullshit. Uh, I've dealt with the climate, and incidentally, just so I'll put my, all my cards on the table, I was willing to be fair enough about climate change that, uh, and I will confess this now, 
in 2002, when I did my first of several interviews with Lee Raymond of Exxon, uh, they were so impressed that I was fair with them and the rest of the media weren't. They asked me to write um, a very long speech for one of their vice presidents on why they didn't believe in climate change. And I did it. And I got paid well for it. So I know how the anti-climate change people think, because I authored the damn speech, okay? Now, since then, I've gotten a little more educated. But let's go back to the central issue, which is, is Trump likely to be elected? And here's why he's not going to get elected. Number one is, I've lived all over the country, blue states, red states, dealt with lots of Republicans, worked on, I was a presidential debate surrogate in the 1980s. Uh, I had discussions with Bill Clinton. Uh, I was going to be, as I mentioned, hired as, uh, as Harry Reid's speechwriter and so forth. There is a small majority of Americans who do get informed enough to make a sensible decision. And it's not the far left. It's not the far right. There's enough people in the center that listen to the presidential debates. And that's what people put them down. These presidential debates will be very, very heavily watched. It'll be a much, much bigger crowd than the 24 million that yeah, saw and there's the first. A possibility. Is it possible that Trump could turn his back on the debates and yeah, say, Yeah, that's what I, I would know. ask. No? It wouldn't matter. It wouldn't matter. Listen, he will remain popular enough with, let's say, 40% of the public that uh, is convinced that Hillary has horns and the Democrats are socialist and that Obama was born in Africa and all these other things. But there, there's about 55% of the country that can be persuadable and they voted for Obama. Look at the electoral map. And I, it's very easy to, you know, I'm just astounded at the Republican hypocrisy when they talk about the economy isn't what it should be. You know something, the best thing that ever happened to Hillary is that Obama won and he dug out the country from what should have been a depression. And the best witness for that are all the Republicans who helped dig us out. We didn't have 25%. Yeah, right. It was the best thing that ever happened because then they could say, you know something, we made a mistake with the black dude. And uh, otherwise they would be saying, listen, we gave women, you know, a chance 200 years into this democracy. Now there, there is a surprising amount of common sense and people do get interested in all this stuff in the closing months. Uh, I've managed political campaigns, and I've gone out and debated Republicans in front of the for, uh, the American Legion and stuff like that. I know the Republicans very, very well, and uh, the Trump will not be able to survive a debate. And if he cops out of it, mm-hmm. there are a lot of independents and a lot of moderate Republicans who aren't going to buy into his bullshit. He will, I, I don't even know how he's going to make it 
to November. At <clears throat> he shoots himself in the foot once every day. Well, his I do biggest excitement is is, is is yeah, and his biggest excitement and his only excitement right now is planning the big party. The three and Bill's got some inside information on the big party and why it <laughs> is potentially a humongous train wreck because of the it's the theater. Cleveland Cavaliers and the and the, <laughs> but but there's more. There's also an ice rink that has to be removed and supposedly they cannot therefore give Trump what he wants. And if he doesn't get what he wants, you, you know what happens. And I have a feeling that that's upsetting him. It's got to be bigger than the Super Bowl. Trump's going to make a deal, okay? He, he wants to have he wants to have screens all yeah, over that center. You can't change time. You can't move. You know, you can't make time. And if you need to dry out the ice or whatever it is, Nancy, Nancy, money makes the world go round and round and round. Yeah, and they're not going to have enough at the Republican convention because all the corporations are bailing. Right. If are Donald really? Trump doesn't pay for why, it himself, they, nobody's going to pay for it. Because Trump's got a terrible reputation among rich guys, but why are they bailing, Scott? Because they don't want to be associated with a toxic convention. You know, most corporations, and I've interviewed dozens and dozens of the world's top CEOs, they are allergic to anybody attacking gays, for example. Uh, you know, they, and they. Well, they how about, see, how about the Democrats attacking a woman at a, at a rally the other night and throwing eggs at her? Is that that's correct? Not, that's not the Democratic Party. No, that but that's been a happening of, a lot. That's been happening okay, a wait lot. Wait a minute. Recently. Wait a minute. That's those, been happening if, a lot. if you want it, those are happening. thugs. From the left. Oh, they're thugs from the left when it happens. No, they, no, they no. really are. There are groups that go <laughs> into these Trump. I saw some of the videos. They look like regular common folks. Just you know. Hey, well, you know something, Angel. I was in the I was in the Democratic Party leadership in California at one point. I did fundraising stuff. I know the difference between the left because I'm not a leftist. I used to be in the late '60s and early '70s. I know the type. The the people that were involved in that, none of them represented the party. There's a lot of violent leftists still around, and but that has nothing to do with the election. What I'm saying is they're already having terrible problems getting corporate sponsors for the Republican thing. They'll they'll put it together in some way, but it's irrelevant. It doesn't really matter. Trump is incapable of mastering detail. He's great. Listen, I've known a lot of, of hotel owners. I've stayed in some of the biggest hotels in the world, the five-star hotels. And uh, these guys can focus on their particular niche, and they can read contracts and stuff. But they're not capable, really, of debating politics. He's out of his realm. He's mistaken the skill of running a hotel and negotiating contracts with mastering policy detail. And unfortunately for him, he's up against one of the best brains in politics in terms of mastering material. And I've talked to a lot of Republicans about this. So uh, I'm not at all worried about him except for one thing. Nobody should take anything for granted. I mean, all people have to do is just sit on their hands and say, ah, you know, no, you have to turn out and you have to vote and you have to be active in promoting. And I, and I say to libertarians and I say to Republicans, even if you're some of my best friends are supporting Trump and Sanders, and I say, hey, guys, I, you know, I totally disagree with you, but I'm, I admire the fact that you're involved and you're calling people and you're posting and stuff. I think that's what democracy is about. Well, right on. I, 
I agree I with agree. you. And um, the last oh, part. Oh, I kumbaya. Yeah. I've never voted before. My, <laughs> just the I've last never part. Voted though, I before agree. myself. So you know, I really like I say in here and chat. I can just sit back here and rant and give them all my ideas <laughs> and what I think because ultimately, in the long run, it doesn't matter on my end. Here's the thing: all these uh, Republicans, I mean, Democrats. Mean, the thing is, Bill. All the all these people are interconnected anyway. All this stuff is you know secret society stuff or whatever. They're all interconnected. Some of them by blood. I mean, it's it's crazy. It's but, not, but they're not. All insane. the same. I know right. the difference well, between few, them. I don't know. They have it's, connections. It's, they have yeah, connections. They're not. They don't all think the same. The difference well, between have, a Tea Party. But the problem is the people. The, the people backing these people are all the same, and that's where you get into the same problem. That's why I think a lot really, of people like Trump. They're not all the same. No right now, no, the Republicans know. are stopping the Supreme Court nomination. They're not all the same, and this election will decide the Supreme Court for the next. 20 years, it will either be moderately liberal or right-wing. That's the real choice in this election. And yeah. if I were you, Angel, yeah, I would yeah, vote I'd for Hillary saying, because saying, yeah. you will not like what the Supreme like, Court will be. If I'm going to vote for somebody in the Democratic Party, it would not be Hillary. I, I'm sorry. I, I'd vote for well, Sanders. Vote, vote Libertarian. Or the I don't Green know anybody. Party. I don't know anybody in the Libertarian Party oh, that's well. well. The Green Green Party Libertarian study they they have their uh, their things posted on the internet. Whatever you would, probably wouldn't like the Green Party if you don't no, believe in climate no. change. But the Libertarians they they have an interesting philosophy. You know, you know small I, government, non-interventionist. No kidding. I was watching. I think it was C-SPAN a few nights ago, and they were showing yeah. the, the Libertarian um, debates. And it was the most awkward thing, like some of the uh, the candidates on there. One of them looked like yeah, a cartoon character. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But Gary Gary Johnson and William Weld are very credible, and I recommend people vote for them if they're not comfortable with Hillary. No, I'm definitely not comfortable with Hillary. No, man. Okay, stu- study the libertarians. <laughs> I think you'll be impressed. I just don't understand. I don't understand how a single human being, if you put Hillary's resume out and you blocked her first name or her whole name, <laughs> people people would point to it and say, that's the most qualified person. My God, if we get yeah. a person like uh-uh. that. Oh, that's true. How is she qualified? Okay. She uh, has been, she's a lawyer. She's uh, a Yaley type or uh-huh. whatever she went. So, so in other words, in this country, we should only, girl. we should only hire lawyers to be president. We should only well, hire, actually, no. yes. That's no, no, what I would we say. Should only hire I don't know. I don't know about that. I think we should. No, but listen, you know, one, one, of, one of her biggest advocates is now, you know, it, it used to be her enemy, David Brock. You oh, know, sure. he wrote a lot of nasty uh, hit pieces on her. And then he started to listen to what she had to say, and he came around to saying, you know, something. He's she's one of the brightest people. Yeah, but uh, the thing is with her is she says a lot of things, and then she flip flops years later, and you know she one. changes listen, with the times. Y- there's a, you talk about flip flops. Trump is the master of that. He'll contradict himself several times a day. But you know, we can't solve the universe. I assume we've run out of time a long time yeah. ago. You have just about, okay. just about. The end. so yes. give us all your so give us all your contact info for your website and for folks to buy your books absolutely godreconsidered.com it's got everything up there uh, except the political stuff we'll have to save a discussion of the presidency and try to save it another time well the god stuff is better <laughs> it's really better and then you've got this really you know one of the questions i was going to ask you in the last 60 seconds that we have was yeah. <clears throat> about your book on uh, uh, pets and pets, yes. spirits of pets. And it, it reminded me of the story of FDR who died in Georgia in his mistress's arms, but in the presence of his dog, Fella. And supposedly when Roosevelt died, Fella was looking up above Roosevelt, mm-hmm. his body, mm-hmm. 
and then was mm-hmm. running after something in yeah. the air, and he had to be restrained. And, and, and so there was the thought yeah. of, what could Fela see that other people couldn't? Yeah, I have stories like that, very, very credible and surprising ones about animals reacting to human and animal ghosts in the soul of your pet. And that's also one of the books listed at godreconsidered.com. We'll have to get into all that next time. <laughs> yes, we will. That's right. so, and also, um, um, Sandra's art will be up by next time. Oh no, no, no! She's 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 working on it. She's um, she's one of those people who didn't learn how to type because she moved all the time and uh, never mastered spelling. So she'll get to the website and eventually she'll put something up on my website too. But that's down the road. This so you guys got a very early peek at her next career. <laughs> well, it's very exciting. So, um, everybody, I want to thank Scott and Sandra Smith for joining us for a lively political discussion, among other things. And next, it was good. Week, and next week we're going to have uh, Rick Lertzman and uh, Joel Martin. And, and and what side are they on? And Nancy Reagan, she's going to be on the show. Whoa! Yeah. From the other side. From the other side, yeah. That'd it's be a awesome. tape of Nancy Reagan talking about Joan Quigley and. Um, the astrology, and her, and her search for for the other side. Yeah, right? her search for the other side, and of course the 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 uh, how she uh, uh, manipulated uh, Ronald Reagan's schedule after the assassination attempt by John Hinckley. So that's all coming up next week. And uh, from the banks of Primrose Creek, we are your co-host Bill. That's me and Nancy. Good night, Burns. And we you, are um, wishing everybody a wonderful week, a wonderful wonderful June and we're back next week with our guests and thank you Scott Smith and Sandra Smith and everybody on PSN Radio on the Dark Matter Radio Network on the Dark Matter Digital Network we will see you all next week